Hey, Champagne Sharks. How's everyone going? We are approaching our 100th episode. So if anyone has any ideas on how to make it special for you, let us know. This is T. Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls. One word, no underscore, R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S. And the show Twitter account, group Twitter is Champagne Sharks. Again, one word, at Champagne Sharks. And the email is ChampagneSharks at gmail.com. So if you have questions, feedback, requests, want to curse us out, whatever, feel free, do it. Um, yeah, and we have with us today D. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's D. You can catch me at MDMill79 on Twitter. Glad to be in. Feel good about the show we have for you guys today. Indeed. And we have a special guest, Nathaniel Friedman. I'll let him introduce himself now. Um, yeah, I guess I should do that. I'm Nathaniel, uh, Twitter at FreeDarko, and uh, just glad to be here. And um, Thank you so much. Yeah. I was a big fan of Free Darko. I had the book and everything back in the day. That's so long ago now, man. That's that's great to yeah. hear. But it's like increasingly, I'm like, wow. Like people really date themselves when they point that out because those books. Oh are- yeah, I mean everybody knows I'm old. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, an open, it's an open secret. Yeah, yeah, but no, no. I, I had the book. It was a beautiful presentation. Also, uh, the Shea Serrano's new book have the same publisher or whatever because it looks physically very similar. Uh, I have been up to this point completely quiet on the subject, but okay, all right, yeah, I'll keep it that way. Okay, okay, yeah, because I found that kind of <laughs> weird, but okay, I didn't want to entrap you into anything. All right, yeah, because I was asking questions myself. I was like, "What's up with this?" But anyway, moving on. Today we're talking about the NBA, and it's a good time to talk about the NBA. Uh, before we get into the uh, bigger topic, I just want to get your take on how the series is going, because. I mean, I think it's kind of the writing's on the wall. I've been wrong before, but I think Cleveland's going to... They'll be lucky if they make it to five, I think, personally. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my whole thing with the series is after that first game when they almost pulled out this miraculous victory and then, you know, due to J.R. Smith largely, they didn't. Uh, I kind of felt like that was a chance for them to have this one kind of great, amazing, miraculous moment. You know, they, they beat the team that could have swept them. Uh, it was a superhuman effort from LeBron. It was kind of like the way the Sixers won that one game in 2001. Yeah. You know, everyone remembers that one win, even though the series was after that a foregone conclusion. And that was kind of the most I was hoping for. You know, like I never thought, I've never once thought this would be a competitive series. If they'd won game one in dramatic fashion, at least that would have been something we could have all like remembered fondly. But yeah, this is a wash, I think. Not a wash, a wrap. Yeah, looking at their body language after that happened, man, it was, <laughs> it was very telling. <laughs> <laughs> After that Pistons upset of the Lakers, I never want to write off anything because that was one series going in. I thought these guys are gonna get like like Rasheed Wallace and Thuff versus. Ugh, don't remind me of that series. Kobe. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I forgot you're an LA guy. So. Oh, oh God. God <laughs> that, that series. Let me tell you something, man. That had to have been the most frustrating five games I've ever watched in my life, man. Like, it wasn't just the fact that the Pistons won because you could take that, but just how it happened. It was just a complete destructo of the Lakers, man. It was, ugh. It wasn't just that it was an upset. <laughs> it was a seven-game upset, but they actually closed it out in, like, how many games? Was it five or six? It, it was six, it wasn't, wasn't it? it? was No, I think it was five. The Lakers it was only five? Won. 
Yeah, the Lakers only won that one game on that crazy shot that Kobe hit that sent it into overtime, and then the Lakers pulled it out in over in OT. But then after that, the Pistons won uh, the next three. Because remember back then it used to be the um, that weird format. It was like two, three, two, or whatever it was back then. Yeah, right. Because then the right because it didn't actually end up helping the team that at home court as much as it could. Right. So it, it didn't even make it back to L.A. because the Pistons won game one, Lakers won game two, and then the Pistons got the backdoor sweep at home. Yeah, I remember yeah, I, that I, vividly. <laughs> yeah, I looked, I looked it up. These right, it's five games. I, wow. I thought maybe I knew it was less than seven. But I thought maybe it was at least six. Yeah, so it was not just an upset, but they actually cut it early. They got they got some extra time to uh, rest. Yeah. Yeah. That series was not competitive at all. Like, the Pistons, I, I, it was like they knew what exactly what the Lakers were. Anyway, I'm not even going to rehash. <laughs> we know what happened. That was a dark time. And then, you know, Shaq left after that and the whole, you know, two years of darkness, you know, <laughs> and Phil comes back and... I was whopping oh, two years that. there. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, not looking at how things are going in LA now, you kind of long for those days now. Shit, man. Nathaniel's piece in the Baffler was pretty good, and mm. I'm guessing that the uh, piece in the Baffler has a lot of uh, tie-in to the overall topic today, which is uh, about the fake woke NBA. I was hoping you could elaborate on um, <laughs> that concept. That yeah, really it's yeah. it's it's a thing that I always I've sort of recently been con- not convinced of, it, but it's sort of recently been brought to my attention that there's this perception that the NBA and its players and the league are somehow and for have for a long time been kind of example uh, shining examples of like athletes who are politically engaged and speak on the issues. And we'll, you know, take on the tough questions and stuff. And, you know, there's this whole narrative, especially around LeBron, where he went from someone who was like very reluctant to comment on present day topics, even when he was directly asked about them, which was a weird thing only around the NBA, strangely, where players would have these questions put to them that were going to put them that they felt would be strange to answer. And they had to no comment them. And then it became a big deal because they wouldn't talk about the issues. And LeBron really sort of over the years kind of became more comfortable with those questions and now to the point where LeBron will actually just sort of like, apropos of nothing, start talking about present day issues. And, you know, there's this kind of like very self-congratulatory bent to it all where, you know, the league is kind of nominally active around things like, you know, when the All-Star Game was going to be in Charlotte and the HB2 business was going on, they yanked the game. Um, they, uh, you know, players like LeBron has like had like the you bum tweet, which people, including myself, sort of thought was this great moment in sports and politics because it was... A player calling the president a bum. But I think, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is how everyone involved in the NBA from the players down through the league really benefits tremendously from this perception. But when you look at the actual, you know, what the players kind of are doing on the ground, what they stand for, how far they're willing to go on certain topics, like it is to be really cynical, like kind of illusory and maybe something that people are very much aware of as like a a conscious play. I mean, it's just like, sorry, I'm totally rambling here. But, you know, I think the thing about the thing where I think it really kind of came to the forefront was when uh, after Kaepernick and the NFL players started kneeling, no NBA players did it. They all had weird reasons for not doing it 
um, that it wasn't really clear why. No one could really give a good answer. LeBron said something like, I love America. I support Kaepernick but, and his right to do this, but that's not for me. I love America or something. And, you know, the league and the Players Union, Players Association essentially entered into this weird, like, deal where no players would kneel, but the league would support players' interest in being active in their communities to have town halls. And the whole thing just sort of allowed everyone to, like, save face. Um, in a way that, in retrospect, is kind of creepy almost, you know? Yeah, I do I do find it weird because, you know, for them to be so overt in, in the way that they call out the president, right? Le- LeBron with the U-bomb tweet, the Warriors not wanting to go visit the White House after they won a championship last year and things of that sort. I find it odd that they would be so dead set on the flag protest aspect of it when they so openly... Um, you know, for lack of a better term, show their dissent or disrespect to the office of the presidency. So that is a weird inconsistency there for th- that I find odd. I think part of it, though, is dunking on Trump is at this point very safe. You know, like the mayor very of safe, Philly yeah. today said, called him an incompetent narcissist or something. You know, there is, but I think that the idea of the, you know, the anthem protests, which were, you know, as embodied by Kaepernick and sort of taken up by players once he was blackballed like those were about serious issues they were about structural critique like they were far further reaching than saying the president is is a moron and I think that's where it starts to get complicated is because you know I think what's cool about Kaepernick is Kaepernick has been I mean you know when he was in the public eye and like making a point of having his voice heard explicitly he made a point of saying I stand for this 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 and this and other players have since said, like, we're protesting because of this, this, and this. And, and NBA players are just generally kind of vague about what kind of politics they have, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's very kind of feel-goody in a way. And also, it's very partisan. And what I mean by that is uh, Kaepernick, a lot of people were kind of celebrating him at first when they just thought he was going to become, like, a resistance guy or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> when, it, when it was Obama, they kind of didn't want, a lot of people kind of ambivalent about him in the dominant society, like particularly like non-black people and black Democrats too, because they're like, oh, this is kind of making um, Obama look bad if it gets too much shine. But I noticed when Trump got into office, suddenly a lot of people were kind of on the sidelines, like um, liberals, both black and white, were suddenly really trying to turn this into a... Use this to get a groundswell for Hillary. And Kaepernick made it clear all along, this is not a partisan issue for me. Uh, I don't care about Hillary either. I'm not even going to vote. And a lot of people kind of turned on him for that, you know, because uh, they thought he was going to be like a useful tool for partisan politics. And he was he started the protest under Obama, didn't give Obama any pass. He said that Hillary Clinton is uh, the same thing as as Trump. She's made no promises to address the issue. Then when Trump came in, he still took a uh, nonpartisan tack, whereas LeBron, because like you said, it's not only safe to bash Trump. You actually get points with it, especially if you're somebody who is in entertainment. And, And LeBron's somebody, he wants to be a star. He wants the endorsements. He wants to be a personality. And to do that, you know, the Hollywood, it does help to be openly democratic openly uh liberal lebron you know he campaigned for clinton like like even though he's gone from not jumping on issues jumping in a lot of his jumping in has been clearly 
partisan. He campaigned for Clinton, whereas Kaepernick refused to take a side. But when it came to December 2015 about Tamir Rice, he kind of uh, said, oh, it's hard for me to comment. I haven't been on top of the issues. So I think that's another thing. Like like you said, uh, it's an easy thing to do right now to dunk on Trump. If anything, it gets you points. Whereas... Um, oh, that's a good... I forgot that he punted on the Tamir Rice issue. Yeah, yeah. that was kind that. of a turning point, though. You know, like that yeah. was, I think, when... Because, you know, I think that was, I think, when he realized that it was expected of him to have opinions, that it was okay for him to have opinions sometimes. Um, and that generally going forward, it was not going to cut it for him to just sort of take a pass at times, you know? And I think it, it's a combination of LeBron feeling like he should do certain things and LeBron being like a guy who does actually have opinions that, you know, from that point forward, he was more vocal. But yeah, that that was kind of a low point in that Yeah, regard. but I think it also helped too that Trump's in office now. At, sure. Like, for like, like for example, if, if uh, Tamir Rice was to happen under Trump... How much of it would be because he's changed or how much of it would be because it's safer to use it as a bludgeon against uh, the Republican guy? You know, that's that's what I'm curious about. Like, 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 what if a beloved liberal black president came into office again? To what level would he agitate or call him a bum or something? Yeah, it's really I mean, that's a really good point, too. I mean, I think that, you know, the NBA is very much in sort of the Obama vision of America mode. Uh, I feel like a lot of players, you know, there's, there are a lot of ties between NBA players and LeBron for one. But I think, you know, this whole idea of like having made it in America and embodying the American dream and really being proof that like, look, this country can work sometimes for some people. I mean, that is something that I think is very resonant for LeBron. Um, I don't, I think, you know, he sees himself very much as like a success story and a success story despite the odds. And, um, you know, that, that Obama model where, yeah, there still is way, our ways this country can work. It's not, you know, the, the bones of it, like the essence of it still has something to offer. That's, I think, something that NBA players, just because of the way their kind of life and careers have turned out, like are kind of, you know, they cling to in some way. And I think it's been interesting to watch how that's been sort of eroded over the course of Trump's presidency. But yeah, I feel like if you had, if you had any sort of like solidly, you know, middle of the road Democrat, even in office, like they would a lot of them would just stop talking the way they're talking now that's uh, totally true a quick question did we even have you give a bio on who you are i'm all like out of sorts i think we just jumped right into uh we have a habit of potatoes doing sometimes <laughs> am i am i wrong did, did we do that uh no, you're no, right I, you, I think i just said my handle that's all yeah 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 please tell the people what makes you qualified to talk about this people are probably like who's nathaniel why did you just bring nathaniel <laughs> <on?"> <laughs> um yeah god of course i gotta do it myself so i'm gonna like completely blow it and get insecure uh yeah so i am i've been writing about the nba for about probably i've been writing about the nba now for over a decade had a blog called free darko um, we had two books published that had decent sized audiences and responses to them. I currently have a column at GQ. Um, I've written for all sorts of places. I also written a bunch about music and like politics and culture. So I kind of know what I'm talking about, at, at least in the very narrow topic of like the NBA and politics. I think that I'm like somewhere in like the top, like 50th percentile of people walking the earth who can speak semi knowledgeably about it. Okay, great, great. Now. You had an article in The Baffler uh, for people who want to look it up. Uh, it's Superstar Power is the name of the article. And, you know, just Google Superstar Power and Nathaniel Friedman. 
Baffler, and you can find it. And I feel like we need more sports articles like this because it's um it's a shame that stuff like this you don't really see it over at places like ESPN and those places. But I feel like a lot of those those places have just become kind of like gossip blogs for men that they just kind of <laughs> use sports to disguise it. You know what I mean? And uh, this was this was very good. And uh, if you don't mind this giving people like a summary of the article and what drove you to uh, cover it. Sure. Um, The article, well, it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier about kind of NBA wokeness or fake wokeness. It started because, uh, you know, the NBPA, the the players union has been getting a lot of momentum over the last couple of years. Uh, A lot of superstar players like Chris Paul, LeBron, Steph Curry kind of came back into the fold and became union leadership and then this woman, Michelle Roberts, took over as executive director, and she's kind of a firebrand. She said a lot of things in the press that were, you know, for a major sports union's director, like pretty radical around like, you know, how, I mean, just stuff like revenue, ownership, you know, she's not really mincing words or necessarily like trying to kind of play nice with people, with the owners ostensibly. And what I wanted to do, uh, my co-author Jesse and I, Jesse Einhorn, um, we were trying to do a thing, we wanted to do a thing that was essentially talking with the union about kind of how they saw their broader role in labor. And, you know, if they, if they did see themselves in solidarity with something like a teacher strike, uh, how players who were kind of you know, brought to the union because all players are how they were sort of led to think about broader labor issues and, you know, just kind of get, have a dialogue with them and sort of get some thinking out there about what, what role a highly visible union like this can play and they, I sent them some sample questions and they were like, uh, yeah, we don't want to talk about this stuff. And not even like, oh, this one, yes, this one, no. They just said, we're not talking about these issues, which wow. one, hurt my feelings, but two, it kind of made me upset because it's like, you guys, again, you are one of the most high profile unions in the world. You know, like the people, you're, you're, you know, the people that make up your union are like beloved and watched by millions of people. And yet, like, something that's basically saying, as a union, how do you feel about larger issues pertaining to labor you won't even go on the record about? I mean, that was, like, pretty striking to me. And so we ended up doing, um, I'm talking really long about this, I'm sorry. What we ended up doing was... Oh, it's fine. It makes my job easier. Okay. (laughs) Well, what, what we ended up doing then is sort of looking at, okay, what is it about the MBPA that would lead them to be a union that didn't feel any sort of... I mean, saying they know no affinity for other unions is a little weird, but that they would not want to publicly comment on larger issues of solidarity. Because that is just a very strange stance for them to take. And what we ended up really getting into is there's a longstanding dynamic um, within the Players Association that uh, Jesse and I had actually written about for Jacobin like a year ago, um, where the there are the superstars who make exorbitant amounts of money, and then there's the rank and file who make less money, though still quite a bit of money. And their interests are often pitted against each other uh, because the stars want to make as much money for themselves as individuals. The rank and file are more concerned with like collective gains and things like, you know, veterans minimum and like benefits and pensions and stuff like that. And over the years, there's just been this kind of, you know, the the dynamic has always been kind of since the 70s. there has been a certain degree of like the stars wanting to escalate salaries, everyone else being worried about salaries escalating because it'll hurt everyone else's salaries, but also it'll take away from the focus on collective gains. And there've just been these moments in history where there've been kind of these divides or these fissures. And uh, part of what was momentous about 
Curry and LeBron and Paul and stuff coming back to the union is all of a sudden they could leverage this power that the superstars have and everyone was ostensibly now going to be on the same page. The problem is, though, is that in practice, what you kind of ended up with is a union where there is where what makes them work as a union is that they can kind of relate to and vibe with and kind of have common interests with the owners because everyone's worried about the league being healthy, the brand being healthy, you know, their individual standing as ambassadors, the league being like intact. Mm. And you get a union that basically is not, does not want to rock the boat or agitate and thus is kind of always going to be looking for like a moderate, uh, you know, more measured approach to relations with the owners and you basically, and that's why they shy away from kind of broader solidarity or like allying themselves with something like a teacher strike, because at its very core, it's a union that's meant to not piss anyone off at this point. All right. It's a very corporatized union now with all the interests that the athletes have now. Right. And, and, the, and the, you know, the main thing that is the, the major labor issue in the NBA is the split of BRI, which is basketball related income. It's all the money coming into the league uh, writ large. And that is the, that's the big, you know, who takes what piece of the pie. And that's the major thing that players should be going after. But the owners will never budge on that. And the only way for a play, for the players to get any, any leverage there would be to strike. But the players, it, for a variety of reasons, strikes, work stoppages, lockouts always affect players negatively. Mm. You know, the owners never get blamed, blamed, blamed. The players always get... But the players usually get blamed. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So they are, they, you know, you have, again, you have a union where almost the working premise of it is that they are afraid to do the one thing that gives them actually any real power as a union. So it's a very strange arrangement they have. And, and very, you know, again, not at all set up to exert any kind of the leverage or want, demand the kind of agenda that, you know, unions are supposed to be able to do. A great point I thought you made in this too was, um, and this didn't even occur to me, like a lot of the stuff you said, even if I didn't know it, you know, once you said it, it kind of occurred. I was like, oh yeah, it makes sense. But something that's very obvious, but I still didn't even think about it that you bring up is that a lot of times players identify often aspirationally with owners. So it's like a lot of people have the dream of doing the Michael Jordan, which is eventually owning uh the charlotte hornets and you know and uh they want to be team owners one day and and the stars are making more money uh than ever and it's becoming more and more of a feasible thing to do whereas back in the day even the stars like you know before the 70s you know even the stars never had a chance in hell of owning a piece of a team you know uh since the 70s and going forward they're making bigger and bigger uh paydays especially through the endorsements it's actually something that they can do now. So now they can't be too much of a union because they run the risk of, you know, offending and messing up things for themselves later when they're on the other side of the divide. That's a very interesting uh, point, that divided loyalty that um, develops from that. Yeah, and again, this whole health of the league idea, you know, I mean, someone like LeBron, he, his brand is inseparable from the brand of the NBA. You know, like he needs a healthy NBA to capitalize on his personal brand. Um, and you know, that kind of concern is just not something that you have when you get, I mean, never mind like anyone who works in any other industry, you know, when you get like lower down on the NBA pecking order, uh, when you have guys who are really just like, well, they play, they play their average of six or seven seasons, you know, they call, they get a paycheck that why, while exorbitant by any other standards, you know, it's not huge for the NBA. And when you average it out over an entire lifetime, of earnings it's not you know it's it get 
it gets, it's kind of funny if you do the math, I forgot exactly what it is, but if you take the average NBA career, the average NBA salary, um, you know, we have this impression these people make enormous amounts of money and are set for life. Like it doesn't really work that way in a lot of cases. And you hear about NBA players going broke. And a lot of times, yeah, it is because they have exorbitant habits. Yeah. I think somebody coined it the apex fallacy where, and I think, um, the first place I heard that was for, um, acting, but basically how there's like this big apex that dries up the average. So you might see average salary for an actor is X average salary for NBA player is X, but there's just really, there's a small amount who have like a big peak. And then this giant long tail of like say in acting, a lot of people are waiters or have a day job or, you know, work in an office. But when people say that average, I think it's way better distributed um, than it is. Like, like that's what the NBA thing reminds me of. Well, and also just like career wise, you know, Yes, there are people who are working actors for decades. There are also plenty of people who try to make it and then flame out after five years. And in the NBA, too, it's like, sure, if you can have a 12-year career making a modest salary in the NBA, you are set for life. If you last five years and you have no obvious other job skills or whatever, yeah. you know, it's like, well, have you actually set yourself up for life? Probably not, you know? And that's yeah. that's... That's the problem is like you get people who are high level athletes and a lot of, you know, they're, they've pegged everything on this one shot. And then it's like, well, what do you do if that, you know, if you wash out? Basically? That's interesting. So on that note, the perception has always been that the NBA is more forward thinking um, and progressive in terms of how it treats its athletes after their playing careers are over, um, how they treat the athletes that have had injuries that have been out of the league for a long period of time, how they treat, you know, their athletes that played like during the silver and golden age, you know, going all the way back to like George Mikan and things like that. Um, as compared to the, it has often been compared and contrasted with the NFL who, you know, up until recent times, I, I even think they still have a pretty bad reputation uh, for how they treated their past stars. So can you comment on like if, if if that's just a perception thing? Is there any truth to the NBA being any better at that than, you know, say other leagues like the NFL who have a reputation for doing a poor job at that? Yeah, the, the NBA is definitely better at taking care of, of vets. And, you know, that has been, I will say that, you know, under the new superstar regime, like they have made some key gains around stuff like pensions and taking, you know, taking care of older mm -hmm. players. Uh, but, you know, I think when you talk about it in those terms, it's like next to the NFL, the NFL is not, this, <laughs> it's not a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a giant like death machine. Like it kills its players. Yeah. So I feel like the, the way I think about the NBA in almost every matter that's like political or quasi-political is that it, they are basically the Democratic Party. It's like, sure, they're not as bad as the NFL, gotcha. but it's like, it, it, do, are they, do we have, is it reasonable for us to expect more of them? Like, can they be pushed mm -hmm. at all? Or is it just sort of we're resigned to them being this, you know, gigantic, loping, uh, middle-of-the-road presence that does okay by some people and therefore we're relieved because it could always be worse. You know, that's a great point because we talked about that uh, a couple shows ago. Uh, we were discussing, I forget how we got on the topic, but the guys and I started talking about one of the reasons why we don't watch as much football as we, I haven't watched football on a consistent basis in like 15, almost 20 years. And one of the things that I had said why I had stopped watching it was, because, you know, because of the concussion uh, situation and things like that. And just I had thought that the league, it was essentially, you know, a mercenary league. And, and also, you know, 
I had my own experiences with football and found out firsthand just how much nepotism and favoritism is involved and, and you know, why certain players are, are elevated to certain positions and given chances over other players that may work just as hard to get a shot. And so that kind of turned me off from football. So, you know what, you're right. I shouldn't, it, it probably is not the best comparison because the NFL is damn sure a mercenary league, man. It is, it's dog eat dog, especially when you compare it to like baseball and, and professional basketball. And, you know, also though, weak union, like weakest union in professional Weak union, state, yes. You know, and yeah. so yeah. it's it, for, for all, I'm, you know, as much as I'm like bad mouthing the NBPA, it's like, well, everything that we're pointing to that's good about the way the NBA takes player, care of former players is a result of that union being stronger than the NFL's union is. <laughs> uh, something that I was thinking about when you talked about how the players are kind of aspirational to uh, become owners and how that makes, well, well, the stars at least, so that makes them a little bit hesitant to, you know, come out with both barrels because they might end up screwing themselves later when they become owners. Is um, It made me think of, like, in general politics, how, there's this problem with a lot of poor white people, the whole what's the matter with with Kansas argument where, you know, the whole temporarily embarrassed millionaires phenomenon or quote where people say like a lot of white people think their shot to be rich is right around the corner is going to happen to their kids. So you get these poor people who mad about the state taxes or welfare cheats and all these like boogeymen because, you know, about high tax about taxing the rich because they imagine they're going to the rich one there the kids are and how it's in their interest to make sure that being rich doesn't suck in any way and it was the argument i didn't even think about applying to people like the nba was uh that they have their own kind of high level on what's the matter with kansas thing and it's even probably more pernicious and harder to get over because unlike those poor whites these people actually have a shot of doing what they dream of doing which is owning a piece of a team and it's not just owning a piece of a team it's like you know they want to own production companies they want to you know they want a, a lot of like the warriors all the warriors are like into startups like that's their thing oh that's so bay area that's yeah terrible. it is it's insane oh god and, what a cliche i didn't know that so, so the golden state warriors are actually into startups too yeah like they they're I, I interviewed Draymond a couple months ago. Um, Draymond, actually, one of his new business ventures is very Draymond, and I kind of like it, which is start opening up affordable gyms in major cities. But oh, that's a helpful idea. No, that's a cool one. But he, he, the way he talks about, he talks about like the business he, disrupting. What time he says disrupting? He didn't say disrupting, but he talked about uh, their respective business flows, and he's like, "Yeah, we'll be comparing notes on what's in our business flows and what sort of." opportunities we have coming i'm like draymond like this is not the way i thought you thought about the world yeah it was like very lingo and everything yeah yeah Yeah. so i think they just all sit around and like compare notes on you know vc groups and stuff but i think you know it's like that's what i'm saying is like even if it's not owning a team it's owning something like these guys no longer just want to have like a chain of car washes or something you know they want i mean that's not that that's not owning something but you know they have these like aspirations of being moguls yeah, and I went to the Bay Area last year, and I was in Mountain View, which is like extra bad. That's like that's that's in Northern California, but I don't think it's quite the Bay Area. But they have a lot of startups that was. But I was in Mountain View and um, San Francisco, and people just have this startup brain worm. It just infects a lot of people's brains there. Like it's become a real part of the culture. It was very. Uh, I can see it. Yeah. One of the big things I that know, I, the Warriors even caught it. Yeah, I found out because I was going to say. Um, 
uh, 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 who just retired recently? Uh, Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes just retired recently, and he was speaking on how you know he had invested in various startups and things like that, and he was actually making more money from that than he was in his last few years of playing in the NBA. That was his words. I don't know how if he was exaggerating or not, but you know that was something that he had commented on. I thought was was interesting at the time. I mean, I mean, it could be possible. It, I mean, I think there's also a thing that uh, with when you get into like athletes as investors, where they no, I don't know. I, I don't know about the world. I, I, I guess what I was going to say is I know there's a way in which like athletes can be used to attract other investors sometimes, you know? Yeah. So, 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 so the fact that he's in it might actually be creating yeah, 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 a lot yeah. of the value that it's, it's, uh, I can, yeah, I, I, I can, I can imagine. I know, I know like celebrity investors, is a, celebrity investors are a big deal for startups, you know? Yeah. Cause it happened with Kobe Bryant with vitamin water, not vitamin water with, um, uh, what was his the deal that he jumped in uh um, um it's a competitor to like gatorade and and shit like that i can't think this? of the damn name right now kobe bryant oh, oh uh, i know i know what you're talking about the the gatorade knockoff it's basically body armor or uh, something like body armor yeah it was called body armor yeah the, the i think it's the one that had the people jumping around and the moving baskets right is, is that commercial where forget it, it doesn't matter but yeah i think it's yeah <laughs> Yeah, his drink is called Body Armor. But anyway, continue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to veer off into that. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I, yeah, I was just saying, like, I know now that I now that I rack my brain a little bit, like, I've definitely had people who are involved in that world kind of tout their celebrity investors, you know, very early on in the conversation about, like, who they work for, mm. um, which is kind of, which is weird because I get it if it's someone who's, like, in that industry whose, like, word means something, but it feels weird when it's just like, yeah, this entertainer put some money behind us you know it's it really is just like a weird pr play at that point interesting what i liked about how the topics are going today is because because you want to talk about the fake woke nba which is about race but then this article which is the angle i didn't think of takes it from a class angle so you basically were pointing out a nba is kind of questionably woke not only in terms of race which is what most people think of first and foremost in america but also in terms of uh, class, which didn't even occur to me. And, you know, class is a very underdeveloped vocabulary in, in America. And it didn't even occur to me the idea that of even thinking of the NBA union as a real union and doing what and being t uh, tapped into the overall labor movement. So I, th I think it's pretty, pretty interesting. It's a it's a two pronged um, way in which there are. Uh, fake woke. Well, and it's also weird because I don't, I think, you know, it's, it's, I mean, this gets, you know, extremely difficult for me to get into as just a cranky, like middle-aged Jewish person. But, you know, when it's, I think the idea of like fake wokeness to me with the NBA is kind of more about how they will, they have very carefully calculated stance on everything. Absolutely. You, you know, and it's not, it's not to say, I mean, I think they're, you know, they are potentially like a great example of how like you know, if if there is a there is an NBA politics that could be fully realized, that is a very good example of how race and class can intersect. However, I think what you get with them instead is sort of this weird, like complete and total separation of the two, and like an attempt to like kind of like exploit one in one way and shunt one away in another way. And it's it's kind of very cynical in a certain way because again, like it is almost using. I mean, this is a, okay. I will just say it, even though I'm probably going to get killed for it. Um, it's kind of using the league's cultural cachet as a way to, I think, dodge getting into some sort of like deeper 
questions all sorts of politics. You know, like it's using the fact that this is like a league with, you know, a very, very relatively vocal, very high profile league where uh, extremely successful, you know, relatively young African-American men are given a platform and are allowed to have influence and allowed to sort of like, you know, for lack of a better word, be themselves these days in ways that like other leagues don't allow people to be. I think people sometimes take that as an accomplishment in itself and an end in itself more. Obviously, it's an accomplishment, but it's not the be all end all of anything. And the league takes credit for this because, you know, because they don't, they no longer try to have a dress code. They act like they themselves are sort of allowing for this to happen and everyone just sort of pass each other on the back instead of actually like going deeper than that that is a that is a great thing yeah i think what makes it worse is that it used to be so non-existent before of any type of speaking out about anything that just by the relativity like just just i mean because i I don't know d can, can you remember any time or actually um that in the age of Jordan, anybody had an opinion on on anything political? Like, well, if you if you had a strong opinion on anything politically, uh, you would be ostracized for that. And uh, since you brought up Jordan, uh, no one illustrates that better than one of Michael Jordan's own uh, teammates from that first championship run was a guy named I think his name was Craig Hodges. Yep, Craig Hodges, and um, just had a book out yeah, recently. He, he, yeah, he he made an over, I don't even want to call it an overt political statement because basically they they I think it was they had told the players before this is when uh, George Bush Senior was in office and they directed the players if I remember the story correctly um, not to make any political statements or anything like that in the lead up to going to visit the White House. So Craig Hodges, what he did was he wrote a, a letter to the president and and presented him with this letter. Basically, after that, he was blackballed from the league. This is his his what he has to say about it. He feels he was blackballed from the league. Yeah, I remember he he was running out. He was running yeah. out the league, and he was never able to play. Uh, get picked up by another team again. So yeah, it goes back to what Nathaniel was talking about. It, it's the the league has always been woke in terms of cosmetically woke. You know, in terms of the optics and things like that, it's a league that largely consists of black players. Um, they they do a lot of stuff currently, you know, championing gay rights and things like that. Um, but if you rock the boat too much, it, it will show you just how corporate it really can be. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a Craig Hodges wore the shiki and, mm-hmm. and, and everything. <laughs> yeah. And one thing about that corporatism, too, is it's like, you know, when people, again, this idea that the league somehow deserves credit for it be for the players being how they are today, I think there's a kind of nefarious version of that, which is uh, you go back to the early 2000s when Allen Iverson was sort of the king of the NBA. Every, you know, there was almost like a weird war between pro Iverson and anti Iverson factions. And David Stern institutes the dress code to get people to stop dressing like Iverson. And what emerges from this within less than a year is this thing where players, you know, when the dress code first happened, everyone thought they had to wear suits or was told to wear suits. Everyone's wearing suits. Everyone feels kind of awkward in them. And then by the end of the year, people are starting to like mix it up and kind of yeah. you know, the dress codes <laughs> relaxed. People are wearing, remember there's like one photo of Amari Stoudemire where he's wearing like a blazer, an untucked dress shirt and ripped jeans. And everyone was fine with that because, you know, because they, they had, you know, he, he was no longer Nick. They weren't wearing like, you know, throwbacks and like oversized sweatpants anymore. So the league was cool right. with it. And what kind of almost happened is the league sent a message around Iverson saying, we won't, we can't deal with, and our fans can't deal with someone like Iverson. And what the players then did is took it and nudged everything about it just a little bit, you know, to the other side of things 
they got like more kind of like, you know, I don't really know how else to say it. It's like they just got a little more kind of like corporate, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, you, and I don't and that's and, not that. And, and nobody uses the word metrosexual anymore, but I don't know what, <laughs> what the replacement word is. But some of the stuff they're wearing now is like in, incredible. I mean, they've gone from those country zoot suits and really bad whatever to now it's like it's like, it's like a runway it's, it's it's amazing what what you can wear now you can work a man purse and mm-hmm. tight jeans and capris but again it's like that like, that kind of expression of style is so much more palatable to the nba than like the way yes. than you know like chains and like mm-hmm. hoodies and stuff True. like they, they and, and you, you know, know like westbrook can wear like you know like no yeah westbrook can wear like a ripped shirt and nothing under it and like you know, like boxer shorts, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's fashion forward." At least he yeah, doesn't yeah, look yeah. like he's like on the corner or whatever. You know, yeah. yeah because at, least, at least it's not racially coded, exactly. like uh, hip hop attire. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, I think that culminated in uh, there was a player on the Miami Heat named Damon Jones. I think that was his name, and he shows up to the press conference in these, you know, these super expensive sunglasses with a thick gold chain on and everything like that. And and I remember that caused such a stir. And uh, everybody just kind of freaked out after that, like the arrogance of these guys showing up like that, you know. So the league is is, is really been strange in that regard, man. I, I just find it um, very interesting. And a lot of these guys, they have their own little individual deals with, with various fashion agencies and shit like that. So a lot of times, like, you'll see Russell Westbrook come dressed in some funky getup or even yeah. Dwayne Wade, he'll come in something real crazy. But in their own personal spare time, they don't dress like that. I think even Dwayne Wade was talking about that. He said, I don't I don't dress like that, you know, in my just in my regular everyday So in their yeah. in their off season they're not wearing like LeBron's not wearing that blazer with the dress shorts like with the high socks. I think like I think, well, I think I like I think some guys definitely I don't I don't think that like yeah I think to your point, like when they're when they're out there, like it's like a primetime game and they get them on the walk from the lock, you know, to the locker room or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's definitely like, you know, that's like a grammable moment. Like you're supposed to like break yeah. out like your best fit for that. But it's interesting. It's like you'll see LeBron sometimes and when he's not super dressed up or trying to like really, really, really like make some sort of statement. And, you know, it's it's like he still is wearing kind of like trendier stuff. Like it's not like he's just like, yeah, no one's really paying attention for me. I'm just going to say fuck it and wear some sweatpants. Like everything is still super on trend with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you guys ever seen that blog? What's Michael wearing? Where where it was documenting up until the latter day how badly Michael Jordan still dresses. I don't think it's updated anymore, but it, but it was a popular blog for a while. They just keep putting Jordan's like bad fits. Like like he was always a bad dresser, but now that he's at you know a full blown uh, middle aged dad age, like he's really gone off. Like you know acid washed baggy uh, mom jeans and all. Types. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of, I have this new, I wouldn't say a newfound respect for Jordan suddenly, but I think it's it's kind of come with this realization that someone like LeBron is maybe not doing the same kind of activist work that, you know, the world would like to believe he is. The more I think about Jordan, I mean, number one, Republicans buy sneakers too is apocryphal. Like, there, he never said that on the record, and it was like someone claimed to have heard him say it. So that's attributed him all the time, and that's kind of like, you know, the... People like crucified Jordan off of that, but he never said it or probably never said it. And then it's also like, you know, 
Is Jordan kind of silly and buffoonish in certain ways? Sure. Is he an immensely successful businessman who's tried to do a lot along the way to like create for other people? Sure. I mean, is he like, is he actually doing great political good in the world? Absolutely not. But if you look at LeBron versus Jordan, you know, Jordan, I know this because I like work, I've worked closely with like Nike and stuff in various capacities over the year. Like Jordan, Jordan's company, Jordan brand is like very big on making sure that like lots of people of color get hired by, you know, his part of Nike. Uh, and like, you know, he has an NBA team where he has similar ideas in play. Like, and it's like, is that the key to changing society? No. But I mean, does it make what LeBron is doing, which is like putting on like five of his best friends, like pale by comparison? Yes. You know, like Jordan, for better or worse, I don't know. I don't know why I'm, I'm co-signing Michael Jordan right now, but I guess it's just like, well, I think, I think it's just like, you know, we look at LeBron as like this elevated figure who's doing so much good for the world. And yeah, like you're saying, Jordan is like this joking, like this joke, this punchline who, you know, as owns a basketball team and a shoe company and is totally out of touch with the struggle or whatever. And that's not to say that again, Jordan is really actually helping in a huge way, but you know, maybe he's doing real stuff on some level in a way LeBron isn't. I don't know. I mean, it's like, are we really, you know, I, I, I don't, I guess I just don't want to give LeBron too much credit when I also feel like maybe LeBron could be pushed and do more someday, yeah. you know? Like, you don't oh, want him I, to feel I, like he's done his job on this earth as an a- athlete activist. No, I, t- I totally agree, especially, and I know I said it in an article I wrote for The Intercept about Colin Kaepernick, but I don't remember if I've said it on air here, maybe um, D can remember, but I... I have had problems with what I felt is um, LeBron's partisan posturing, and that's something that I would really is one example where I think he needs to be pushed further. Like, because I don't like people who, when it's like time to like punch against Trump, they're all like, you know, ready to talk because he's a very easy target. But you know, once uh, somebody's not an easy target, they're kind of pulling back. So I, I'm curious to see what he's going to do to show that he's a uh, post or non nonpartisan and that's that's one area that i would like to see him definitely improve in as well as just race and class in general uh but i want to say as as better as the nba could be especially compared to some of the stances that we've seen in the nfl i mean what about baseball because i feel like i never hear baseball players ever really uh get woke at all yeah i mean i honestly don't really follow baseball at this point okay um that's interesting though. Like, yeah, like, cause I think, I mean, baseball is just also weird because there's so many players in major league baseball who don't even have the same kind of like viewpoint on American life that I don't know, whatever. I, I should just ask that one. Cause I, I have no idea what, I don't understand oh, okay. how politics work in baseball anyway, because I feel like a lot of players who are coming from outside of the USA don't even have the same vantage point, you know? That's true. There's a lot more immigrants in, uh, baseball so that's that's very fair as well yeah and and there's, and there's also um a lot of white guys so you know they might not also feel like as um concerned with other issues as well it, it's but but that's the thing i'm, I'm interested in about too because baseball is interesting dynamics because first you have the immigrants so and we've talked on this show a lot about sometimes like immigrants even if they're of color or look black a lot of times don't feel as keyed in the racial struggle in America and baseball is like a millionaire illustration of that. And then you also have, I mean, is it safe to say that, that baseball is the major sport that white people are doing the best in now? I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, 
Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah, I, mean, I can't. I mean, I guess well, hockey is a major sport. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, hockey, and and, and and there you go. That's that's one that I think is probably even it's is just as politically uh, outspoken as baseball, if not less so. So it's a yeah, it's interesting. Hell, I'd still say the NFL as well because if you look at the way the NFL is set up. The skill positions basically are the positions that became the mercenary positions. Wide receiver, running back, cornerback, shit like that. Those guys are pretty much dispensable now with the way that the league is set up, with the rules and everything like that. Whereas the indispensable positions are still quarterback um, and offensive line. So in in those largely tend to be white players. Like the face of your team is still your white quarterback. So even in that respect, um, the NFL is still very much uh, a white man's league, if you're going to look at it like that. Yeah, but but at least you still have the numbers as far as, like, you know, the rank and file. Whereas I feel like baseball, I think white people have more numbers as well compared to the NFL. Like, no, But but but, I, but I, I see what you're saying. It's deceptive. You're right, because the power yeah. balance is still put in a certain few key positions. I mean, I, I, I get your overall point. I also, I have a extremely tinfoil hat uh, theory around the NFL, which is basically that um, the skill positions were sort of, I don't know what the word is for it, but you know what you're describing, like they were kind of decentralized or targeted. Yeah. They were the, you know, you went from an era where they were like running backs and wide receivers yep. and corners who like dominated for years to one where they were, yeah, like you said, made disposable. And I feel like I, I mean, this may be a little off the deep end, but I feel like the league did that on purpose on certain levels because they didn't like where this the game is a good was going. Podcast to go off the deep end on. Like, okay, I am one hundred percent. We throw out like crazy theories all the time, <laughs> all the time. But no, I, I'm in one hundred percent agreement with that. I think it was very deliberate. Yeah, I agree too. How that happened? If you ever want a podcast that's very sympathetic to out there theories, this is, <laughs> uh, this is one for you to consistently go on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, earlier you were saying something where you're like, you know, I'm really getting in trouble for this here, and I was bracing myself, and I was like, oh, we say worse than that all the time. Uh, <laughs> earlier in the episode, that that happened. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think the, I think, you know, I think there, are, there are like kind of brand reasons why the NFL was like, oh, we can't have Randy Moss being the face of the league, but it's also even crazier to me that they found new ways of playing football that would be successful just so they did not have to deal with like loud wide receivers. You know, like I, I, I really generally believe that like the league gravitated and teams gravitated towards systems that would not make them so reliant on skill positions, which is nuts that like yeah. you could have a way of you could have tremendously talented athletes who have a proven track record of achieving things at a high level. And as a league, you're like, oh, we're not that might be bad for business. Let's figure out some other ways to do things. Yep, And it became a plug and play league led by um, the New England Patriots. Yep. The way the New England Patriots set up their system, the only critical piece is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Other than that, yep. their running backs. I don't even know if people know who the hell the starting running back is on the New England Patriots from year to year. Like, does anybody ever really know the name? But but but, of but the honestly, guy? Are, are there, uh, how many big star running backs are there? Like, remember what a big star Barry Sanders was? Like, oh, and Emmitt oh, Smith oh, and all those yeah, guys. Running oh, the, yeah, running the, that that whole huge. the era when I actually like fucked with the NFL, which was circa you know around you know early two thousands, like. Running backs were dominant, like Tomlinson. There was yeah. like Priest Helms was putting up crazy numbers, like Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk. Oh man, Every, Sports Center. Sports Center. It had a lot of running back clips. Yeah, it, it, was it was great. Long yeah. bombs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the running, it was great. And, and you know, and 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 I think part of what happened is 
people were like, you know, platooning kind of came into vogue, but it's like, no one's ever convinced me that a guy who can average five yards a carry and carry however many times a game and carry, you know, just basically carry a team is a worse option than two dudes who are very good between them averaging five yards a carry. You know, like you're, it's just like, it's like the NFL got away from kind of this like electric star driven model when everything about the history of every sport suggests that like that is a way to kind of like, you know, sports ultimately are decided by like transcendent moments from transcendent individuals. And the NFL has seemingly gotten away from that except for quarterbacks. Yeah. yeah, the NFL is very, very, very afraid of the power of balance going to black players. I really noticed that. And I think the fact that so many quarterbacks are still white is what makes them, which I'm, I'm just restating what you guys have said earlier. But I feel like that's why that's the one position they're OK with still having a lot of power. But I mean, it's just such a weird league. I mean, that that's the one that really gives off the most plantation-y vibes man especially oh i said this earlier episode with the with the combine like that that alone is just seems like a scene out of mandingo like you know checking the slaves it's it's very i mean a bunch of white guys huddled watching like you know how fast does he run okay that's good you know i'll give you this much for toby it's just weird i i i mean that's not even a question that's just kind of a rant but you know what she ended up positive yeah, oh, sorry, go on. They're measuring your body fat with those stupid little pinchers and all that shit. Yeah, I yeah it's so agree. it's so slavey. It's so weird. And it's it's weird how like how you know the NBA is very big on data and like biometrics and optimizing sleep. Mm-hmm. And there was an article written a couple of years ago about or last year maybe about how like teams love Tinder because it means players aren't like out all night like yeah. you know trying to fuck. They just like go home, get it taken care of, and go to sleep. And it's weird, though, that, like, the NBA somehow, that whole kind of creepy, like, cyborg vibe is something the players very much own and buy into, whereas the NFL, like, it doesn't have that feeling. Like, it still feels like, yeah, this, like, you know, weirdly racialized, like, external evaluation. Yeah. Like, the, play- the players are not the ones being like, I got to get my BMI up, blah, blah, blah. It's like the team's being like, you've never thought of this, but we're going to measure you. You know? Yeah, right. I- exactly. It- it's like, do you know what it feels like with the NBA? It feels like that there was a name for this movement, but is this movement? And for an example, it- an example of it was Bulletproof Coffee and all this thing. It was this thing where you get all these metrics for yourself. And it's kind of very bougie and aspirational, like, like you know, joining one of those personal gyms. Because you're right. It seems like it's coming from the individual. It's very neoliberal. Like, this is my brand. How can I optimize myself? <laughs> and, you know, how can I biohack? I think it's called biohacking. I think it's what they, they should call it. Or Yeah, biohacking. Yeah. 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 So it seems like, you know, it's almost like a type of balling out of control, but with your body and your and your fitness and your conditioning. Whereas, like you said, on the NFL, it seems like a top down, you know, like like the overseers are looking like, how can we get more cotton out of, uh, you know, the field hands? It's, it's very... Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a very real weird thing where, like, we are given the impression that NFL players, if not for, you know, teams, would all just be, like, sitting around, like, getting fat and eating and, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like, it's like, it's like, it's like only through, like, the goodwill of teams are these players, like, actually in shape and, like, able to kick ass on the field. And, like, whereas the NBA, it's like, it's like the players, we, we are led to believe the players have all opted into all this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, 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 totally. One thing that I always thought was interesting um, up until recent times, you ever noticed uh, years ago how like when an NBA player would get any into any kind of legal trouble, it would be like a huge deal. And then you look over at the NFL and it'd be the same kind of thing, but it, w- it wouldn't get anywhere near as much play nationally as it did with it or cause nearly as much outrage as it did when the NBA players did it. I, I always thought that was related to the fact that, you know, the NBA is looked at as very much like the black guys league, whereas the NFL, even though the majority of the players are black, is not looked at in the same light. Did you did you ever notice that difference or, or maybe I'm overstating it a little bit or what do, what do you guys think about that? I definitely I think it has to do with the NFL is also just kind of like anonymous and nameless and faceless and no one's recognizable. But the NBA, though, like they are celebrities, you know, and yeah, yeah, then they're highly visible like black celebrities. So it's like if you Mm -hmm. want people to pin things on and make them notorious, like there is your easy target for you. Right. Yeah. I also think you kind of answered your own question earlier with what you described as the balance of power. So even though like there's that many black people on the field, you still have like the marquees of like Tom Drew Brees, Man- uh, Eli Manning, Manning until Aaron Rodgers. Aaron yeah, Rogers, yeah. yeah. The leaders, the people who are associated as leaders. I look mean, but shit, even somebody like Ben Roethlisberger, man, um, you know, he gets away with a lot. You know, he's still. It's true. I mean, he's a fucking yeah. rapist and he's. Right. Steelers quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to me, but I guess that's uh that's what it is. Oh, I want to give a good example of the NBA from your article um that uh surprised me. I didn't know this, but can you describe what Russell Westbrook has done uh labor-wise? Well, I think I didn't I actually was not aware of this until we were working on the article and and Jesse turned it up. I mean, he I guess supported the teacher strike in Oklahoma. They and I think it may have been sort of like a Russ was asked a question because Westbrook is a very strange individual and just kind of he's he's both very cagey and very impulsive. And it's sort of hard to tell sometimes which one is running his brain. But I suspect in this case, he was asked about it. His gut reaction was something to the extent of like, yeah, they're telling people to go to hell if they won't like treat them fairly. I'm for that. And he just was like, yeah, sure. Of course I'm with them. Um, I don't you know, I don't think that was like a. You know, we say in the article, there are times when the NBPA has talked about supporting other uh, labor movements, but um, this was just Russ sort of like going uh, rogue, I think. Yeah, but yeah, but, but that was a pretty good, that was a pretty I mean, good uh, th- thing to learn. I didn't know about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think though that's what gets into the thing of like, you know, Russell Westbrook is a member of a union. Does he even understand, and this is not to say that like Westbrook is like dumb or something, but does he understand that when he says that he supports a teacher strike, it's not just a guy on the street saying those teachers should be able to get what they want, that he actually, like, in his capacity as a, a union member, but also a member of the particular union he's a member of, of like, that actually carries real weight, you know? And I, I just wonder, like, when he said that, does, does he even think about things in those terms? And that's part of what we were trying to ask the Players Association about, is, like, do you talk to guys about being like, yeah, like, you're a union member, this is what unions do, other unions are important as well. And yeah, that's what they just didn't want to get into. Here's my random question, and it's a very frivolous one. I'm going to warn you right now. But ever since you mentioned it, I couldn't stop thinking about it, about uh, the league encur- encouraging the NBA players to use Tinder. <laughs> and I have to wonder, what do you think your average NBA's Tinder profile pick is like? Because if I was an NBA player, I would not want to risk for a split second that you don't know I'm an NBA player. Like, do you think it's just like... Uh, <laughs> A highlight reel like them dunking on 
like five people uh the very first pick you see like i'm just curious what an nba player's uh tinder profile must must be like it must be like comically uh i mean like would they even aren't there i don't know because i am bad at being alive but aren't there like all sorts of dating apps for famous people like it's crazy to me that like an nba player is just like sitting on tinder and is like hey everyone what's up i mean wouldn't they just get bombarded with stuff i guess they gotta swipe too i don't know Mm, i wonder if they have somebody in the entourage like while they're playing just just swiping away like you know like hey i gotta play that's what i always imagined well imagine that like after the game they have like a dude they point the women out to like okay go get her 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 and her and then they you know they have a guy to go handle it for them that's no that was that was real i mean that was like yeah, yeah 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 that was real but now now he probably just has a phone right <laughs> he, just, he, he doesn't manually do it anymore he's just he's just a swiper now he's he's getting fat now he's not even running around what i loved about that tinder thing though was like it really was a stars are just like you and i moment where i was like you know even if you're an nba player you still have to go out you still have to sort of like figure out who you want to fuck and who you don't you've got to like talk to them and see if you feel like they're cool or not and you can deal with them or they're going to like burn you. You know, it's like, it's like even, even the rich and powerful have to get, you know, pre online dating had to like go through the motions of, yeah, yeah. And you know, and it's like, so it's just, I don't know why I always thought about J.R. Smith when I was thinking about this. I was just imagine like J.R. Smith, like, you know, he's just like on the road. He's, you know, he's got a night off or whatever, probably doesn't have a night off. And he just like goes to the club and it's just like, yeah, J.R. Smith in the club is not like a normal person at the club, but also very much like a normal person at the club in certain ways. <laughs> uh, um, you know, that's interesting. Not surprised me how many of the NBA guys are on Instagram and just sliding into DMs like, like all the time with regular, <laughs> and, and they get outed all the time. Like, like, like all Max puts on line. Like, like has way too many Instagram stories. It's uh, it's funny, but I mean, but on serious topics, uh, <laughs> any final thoughts that you uh, want to share? And if you're exhausted on the topic, then just plug anything that you want to plug. Oh, and third thing, give your prediction for how you think the rest of the series is uh, going to go. Uh, my prediction first is because I'm kind of fatalistic. I'm just going to say it's going to be a sweep, um, which I, I look forward to being proven wrong. Um and I think, you know, the silver lining is the Warriors in game. I, I'm one of these people who's like, the Warriors are probably bad for basketball. However, when they play beautifully, especially when Steph Curry is sort of leading the charge, I enjoy watching them. I think they're, you know, doing a great service under basketball by playing the game at that high level. And I will take the Warriors winning a title if they do it in a way that looks really cool. So I'm just hoping we get more of what we saw last game from them, which is like, you know, it's a blast to watch them play that way. Um, I, I mean, I think, like, I don't really mean to come across as, like, someone who's, you know, just thinks the NBA and its players are full of shit. I just think it's more like, you know, again, to make the Democratic Party analogy, like, I just think it's not wrong to ask if they could do more or do better, you know? And I think if the reality is that, like, yeah, they are these corporate megaliths that will only ever do so much because they don't want to, like, endanger their interests or the interests of, like, the larger systems and structures they benefit from, that's fine. But, you know, as long as we're out here saying that, like, LeBron is like a freedom fighter, like, let's actually, you know, let's let's see him do some work on that level before we sort of start handing out accolades. I will say this. Uh, the term fake woke made it sound like you're going to be way more judgmental and harsher coming out the gate. But from hearing you talk today, it seems like what you're kind of saying is uh, they're better than they used to be. 
but they could stand to improve by a lot and we should hold their feet to the fire. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Of- yeah. And I just, I don't think we should be taking, you know, I don't think we should. And as I've, d- I've definitely been guilty of this in the past, like taking any victory laps on the, on account of the NBA and its players. And I think of anything like, They've opened the door now for us to like expect more of them, you know. And Kaepernick has also sort of forced this issue as well. It's like you know, like if we want to look to professional athletes and you know even more unreasonably maybe a professional sports league as having good politics, like what would that look like? What will they really do? And we'll, we'll, we should give them the credit that they deserve, and no more, and no less. And I think you know this. This is the last thing that I will say that is potentially like very maybe too high. I do think that. Um, the league uses its optics as an excuse to not really do as much work or as they could. I feel like, especially around some of the stuff I get into that Baffler article, you know, that does fall along more along class lines. I feel like they kind of use this reputation of being woke as a way to just deflect from even thinking about or talking about that more complicated class related stuff that comes up when you deal with them as a union. So, I mean, there's that element too, but you know, it's like, I, it's, Okay, the last sort of, it's, I think it, it sort of comes down to, no, I'm not even going to say this. That's, that's ridiculous. Okay, can I just say this so we don't put it on the show? Well, 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 so, well so, so far, everything you said has been kind of on brand. You haven't said anything that I think would okay. rile up the audience. So if you want to go, yeah, I, if, 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 you, if you want to push it further, I think you have a lot of room, man. All right, I, I think, you're on, the, I think you're, you're on the one yard line to keep the, um, <laughs> to keep the sports analogies going. So. I, guess, I guess I feel like, and this is, again, appropriate given the ties between Obama and the NBA, I think the NBA kind of pulls an Obama sometimes um, where kind of its cultural import is there's so much about it that's, you know, that represents progress and is impactful in that way that it sometimes gets lost in the shuffle that maybe on some of the specifics of policy, for lack of a better word, it's not so great. You know, so it's like NBA. That is also that is also so not controversial. I know, I know. I just it's 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 almost pandering. No, <laughs> like, I, know, I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I no, 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 no. Like our audience will totally. I know. No, I just I just feel bad having that take as a you know as a white man in America or whatever. Like oh. I shouldn't have my because it's just like it's weird with Obama because it's like it's it's like I totally understand like why Obama matters, but also why Obama should be harshly criticized like anyone else. And it's just like making that statement sometimes rubs people the wrong way. I know it's not going to rub you all the wrong way because I'm familiar with the output and stuff, but, you know. No, I just think that the the, the, the overall consensus of, or not the consensus, but the gist of what I think you pointed out in your article, and, and it's a very fair critique of the NBA. And that is this thing where we do, uh, Mark Jackson had this great term that he called fake hustle, mm-hmm. is when you... You, you do all this stuff to make it look like you're you're super busy, but you're really not doing anything. And and I, I think that um, it would be fair to summarize the, the NBA as a league that partakes in a lot of fake hustle, a lot of superficialities that um, it, it, it looks like they're doing these great things. It looks like they're this super progressive league. But in reality, everything is highly corporatized everything is highly staged and planned and really controlled uh, to such a degree that the stars really um, can't speak out in a way that's not safe um, about various issues so I, I think what you said in, in your critique is very fair and unfortunately man it's like a lot of 
politics in America, you know. And uh, it's something that we're going to have to continue to deal with and face moving forward, man. I don't know what, what the answers are, but I think people need to know that um, that's an issue out there. That's just my two cents on it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's that's it. It's like what what in 2018 does it mean to have a politics? Like, what do we actually mean when we say like this person is or isn't political? You know, what are, what does it mean when we say that like someone's an activist or someone's pushing for X, Y and Z? You know, and like it let's I think if there's anything, it's like if anything, I think now like people expect more when you say the word politics and people expect you to go deeper and to have stronger mm-hmm. convictions and to not just sort of soft pedal it and stand for what everyone sort of assumes you stand for anyway. And yeah, I mean, that's, again, that's the Kaepernick thing. Like he totally went for it and it resonated and it's just, yeah, it's yeah, weirdly yeah, out of touch. Yeah. It's weirdly out of touch that like NBA players don't, don't, it's like they're, they're, to some degree they are living in like a bygone political era, you know? And it's very weird to see them. And you had guys, yeah, and you had guys that, that played professional basketball for a number of years that were very articulate about certain issues. Guys like Etan Thomas and Ira Newble, mm-hmm. you know, guys that were very well-spoken and, and understood various political issues, but, you know, for whatever reason, well, they weren't huge superstars, obviously, but there are guys in the league that, or at least have been in the past, that, you know, weren't these corporate front men and would really speak about the the deeper issues but you know unfortunately they're either far and few in between or they don't get to voice you know their their issues they don't get the platform that a lot of the superstars get it's interesting i wonder i wonder who that i mean i i should know this but i wonder is there like yeah you can bring up like iron Newble, who i think it was around darfur that he kind of like held lebron's feet to the fire i think it was mm-hmm. there was like a petition and lebron wouldn't sign it and and then, you know, and Ethan Thomas, you bring up, like, he was, yeah, he was very outspoken on a lot of stuff. But I wonder, is there even that guy in the league right now? Like, am I just blanking on who? Know. Oh, it's da- David West is that way. David West is, like, actually about is it. Is David West the guy now? Yeah, David okay. West is, David West had one of my all-time favorite interviews. It was in The Undefeated, where he basically said, and the, it was, the article was about how he had been standing back away from the team, off the line, when they did the anthem in protest against basically everything. And he had this like super grouchy quote about Kaepernick where he was like, okay, so you're mad about police brutality. Well, let me tell you, there's a whole lot of other stuff for you to get mad at next. And he's listed all the issues that he found to be like major problems facing like America and kind of like the world as a whole right now. But he's like, no, he's like, he's like super well read. Uh, He's like always talking shit about stuff. Um, his like his his startup is uh it's something about like renewable energy in the developing world. I mean he's he's like definitely someone where I think he's respected by a lot of people. But he I mean you know but again like he his voice sort of gets swamped you know because it's like Steph what do you think and Steph says something like pretty mealy mouth that everyone's like oh Steph Curry strikes again like the NBA fighting for what's right and meanwhile David West is like sitting over here with like. You know, yeah. So, 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 is it that startup culture? But at least it's a woke startup, which is a uh, yeah. That's woke yeah. startup. I, I, that's I, I, in my autobiography. Yeah, very... <laughs> <laughs> There's always the question that that I think is a fair question. Also, and, and I think of this as you brought up, you know, David West and all the various causes that he articulates. Like, is it fair to ask them to be? super articulate and well thought out and well spoken about, you know, 
X amount of issues. I mean, you know, and I speak to someone who's come to a lot of this stuff, you know, relatively recently. And I don't I don't like to speak about a lot of it because I just don't understand a lot of it. I don't feel like I have a command of the information yet to go out and be this huge proponent of leftist politics. Um, so is it even fair to ask these superstar athletes to to go there? I feel like, you know, we're not. I mean, I'm sort of the same way. Like, I'm pretty bad at all this stuff. You know, I kind of bullshit my way through it half the time. But, you know, basketball included. um, Everything, pretty much. (laughs) But I I feel like it's like, yeah. I mean, is is everyone Muhammad Ali? Is everyone Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? No. Um, Is every generation going to have one, you know, one superstar who just will carry the mantle for athlete activism? No. I mean, history bears out that that's not the case. But I think, you know, let's be honest about that then and let's, you know, let's let them do what they're going to do, say what they're going to say, stand for what they stand for, and then we can kind of like let the chips fall where they do, you know, and mm-hmm. let's, you know, let's, let's get LeBron's read on things that may not be like simple, uh, to use an annoying metaphor, slam dunks. And kind of, you know, I think that's why the partisan thing is so interesting. It's like, what's, let's, you know, it was a big deal when LeBron punted on the Tamir Rice question. Subsequently, you know, it did not, it became inbounds for Mm. players to say they did not, you know, that they were strongly not into uh, extrajudicial police murder. Um, But I think it's like, yeah, what happens when people start asking LeBron about other policy stuff? You know, he doesn't have to be like a mass, like a politics genius to have an opinion about like, I don't even know what, like, what do you think about renewable energy sources, LeBron? You know, that kind of shit. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like, there's, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, the whole idea behind athletes as political figures, isn't that they're like pundits in the making, but that they are people who, um, if they're going to have a view, are going to have enough of a fully formed view that Mm. it can, kind of dialogue with what not normal but with you know people who are not like you know very much plugged into the discourse of thinking you know like like that's kind of the role they can play is like they kind of bridge that gap between like just the everyday person and like the more like media savvy like world of politics i i agree with that totally and i also think you know as someone who pays attention to a lot of this stuff i just want some type of consistency from these guys you know i i that that issue with LeBron and Tamir Rice, man, that really, really rubbed me the wrong way. And the reason why is specifically because they were fairly outspoken. Well, I don't know if outspoken would be the right term, but they were very demonstrative with the whole hoodie thing when, when, when Trayvon Martin, when that whole situation went down. And remember the Miami Heat, uh, they, they did this whole hoodie tribute and everything like that. And they all were very articulate. I think Kobe Bryant came out and, and said some weird comments about why he wouldn't support that cause or whatnot. And they were very articulate in expressing why they stood in solidarity about that issue. So I just found it odd that uh, he'd be so well thought and spoken about that particular issue when he was in Miami. But then in his own backyard in Cleveland, suddenly he doesn't know anything about Tamir Rice, (laughs) which, you know, to me was as big of, of a case nationally as the Maybe not quite as, but it was up there with the whole George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin situation. So all of a sudden, you don't know anything about it? Like, yeah. what the hell was that all about? It's. I think it was, uh, you know, because it was involved with the police and because he... I think, you know, I'm not trying to give LeBron a pass. Obviously, that's not my, you know, thing here. But I think that was one of those times where 
he was kind of like, uh-oh, this is kind of a hot one. Maybe I shouldn't say anything. And he was asked about it because, of course, he was. And I think subsequently he realized that, like, he didn't have a choice. Like, he had to, you know, he was going to, it was going to look weird and he was going to probably feel strange about it if he just did say, I don't know what's going on. Because, yeah, I don't think anyone believed that, you know, when he was like, I'm not familiar with the situation. It's like, yeah, you know, you use the Internet. Like, we see you on the Internet all day. Like, right. (laughs) But, yeah, I just, I guess for me, consistency. Because one thing you can't accuse Colin Kaepernick of, of being as inconsistent. You know, he's been fairly consistent since this whole thing has begun. And uh, like you said earlier, he's, he's spoken about a wild range of, of topics that have to do with um, injustice and, you know, social things in America. So, but anyway, I've rambled on enough so we can wrap it up now. You guys ready? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And I, I think you've already given your final thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry about that i just i just saw the thing saying but <laughs> no 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 it's not it's not to be sorry it's not to be sorry about uh no you've been a great you've been a great guest and i always enjoy episodes like this because it's a nice uh change of pace we've, we've been trying to do more of them instead of uh i feel like we're getting kind of in a rut with the same topic so it's refreshing to me it reinvigorates me to talk about like like rap beefs and sports and all types of other stuff like that you know Absolutely. so yeah i really appreciate you coming on and and joining us and you plugged everything you want to plug right i think yeah i i think yeah yeah i'm, I'm modest i'm really mad at plugging stuff <laughs> okay cool oh all right so um that's a wrap and everyone like i said if you have ideas for episode 100 please please share them Oh, we might do a clip show where we add um, context um, to old clips or revisit them. So you can also send your favorite uh, clips that you think would like to be in the show to um, champagnesharks at gmail.com. And with that, good night, fellas. Peace. Take care.